Hello, Rachel. It's lovely to have you at my In Conversation Masterclass. I'm not sure how long I've known you. Only a few months, really. Yeah, it's not been that, that long, although I think I've sort of lurked around knowing who you are for a while, <laughs> probably since the um, Families and Global Transition yeah. Conference. I think you've, you've yeah. lurked on my periphery too. Um, so, I, Rachel is a counsellor and therapist. She's also a doctor and she is also a TCK. And these people who've lived, who've grown up overseas can have... Uh, quite an unusual story and a different sort of story that they might tell themselves from the one they sh ones they share with other people. And I understand from my chats with Rachel that this was really the catalyst for her getting interested in being not just a counsellor and therapist, but also really helping people on their life story journey. So Rachel, could you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what life story therapy actually is? And of course, this is the question that makes me squirm because you know what, what it's like when you have a project or a vocation that is so embedded in your own identity. It's, you know, trying to explain all of that. Um, but yes, so Rachel Kaysen, I am a doctor, not one of the useful ones if you're ever planning on having a life-threatening situation, um, but good for the fuzzy stuff. Um, and yes, being a third culture kid was the catalyst for the life story therapies development, which came directly out of my doctoral research. So when I was interviewing third culture kids, trying to basically introduce to British academia what they are, um, and I'm trying to gauge, you know, what how people interact with their identity when their identity has been formed across so many different cultural platforms at so many crucial developmental stages um, asking them about their story tell me about your life was the best leveler in terms of handling pretty unwieldy data basically but as people told their stories what i would consistently hear is i've never done it like this before I've never told my story in this way before because I think as soon as you have a bit of a complicated story, you edit and you filter and you tell it in chapters and you're so conscious of your audience that it's never the same story twice. Um, and we have kind of layers of it. So to do it in a kind of, they turned out to be pretty much two hour interviews. Um, and bringing all of those chapters into one space and all of those identities into one space, something quite magical, alchemical sort of process kind of happened. And I thought, this needs bottling. And it was bottled and sort of became Life Story Therapies about five, six years ago now. Ooh, five or six years, my goodness. Um, so how do you think that undergoing a little bit of life story therapy whether it's just what i know your introductory sessions just a couple of hours how do you mm -hmm. think that doing that can help people who are writing their memoirs i think it's that case of bringing context when when we're writing anything or where we're trying to communicate our story in any way we've often got a theme in mind or a message in mind or a particular bit we're trying to show people um, for me, when I'm working with somebody therapeutically, very often that's whatever challenge or problem, and I do that because, you know, double-edged sort of problem, benefit, challenge, whatever, um, the thing that feels a bit unwieldy at the minute that they're bringing to me to work with has become the thing right in front of their gaze. So that two hours 
gives context. You get to see your message, your, your story that you're communicating, the identity that you're communicating in the context of all of it. How did I get here? What, what is it that led me to the decisions that have brought me to where I'm at in life today? And, and that's fairly critical, I think, um, kind of beginning with that context piece. So yeah. in, a in a way that, that becomes the story arc for a memoir. Yeah, it becomes the way that we can see the pace and the transformation of character that has occurred over the years. Very often, even just within that two hour period, um, at the end of it, somebody's perception of themselves has shifted just within those two hours because they've heard themselves in a different way. They've noticed patterns and connections and themes that interconnect their story, that, that the threads that bind it, um, they've heard it and, and it changes even how they arrived when they were first expressing it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's actually, it's very interesting because I didn't want to tell people about what you do without doing it myself. So I had one of these sessions and it was really interesting because I have told my story so many times. I write about it in my blogs. I write yeah. about it in my poems. I'm very open and authentic and able to tell people who I am. And I've written about it very plainly in Monday morning emails. I wrote it as a parable in my novel, Sunshine Soup. And yet from that session, there was one word that came out of it that is absolutely embedded in my mind and I will never forget it and I'm going to share it now it's really quite shocked me but that word was manipulative there's something yeah very significant about the process that allows us to encounter ourselves in a different way it was really interesting seeing my it was almost as if I saw myself through somebody's eyes who didn't know me at all and it was, it was most interesting. I would never have known that that might have been such a, such a force in my life. So I found it just, and the one session was incredibly helpful. So thank you for that. So um, bloggers need to engage with their readers too, and columnists, and they engage by writing about issues that will resonate with their readers, while also writing about their soft side and being vulnerable. How could your service perhaps help these people? that element of revealing yourself in your story is this little tightrope that a lot of us walk, whether that's in a social situation or whether that's in a written piece. <clears throat> and it's something that's been interesting from the counselling framework here in the UK. A lot of counsellors have mixed feelings about blogging because it, it's revealing, revealing you. Mm -hmm. um, and so much of the training is about focusing on your client's story, but there is something about that interaction, a mutual offering of information and vulnerability and intimacy um, that creates connection mm. and, and actually draws somebody else's story out more because you've created a, a, a sharing space. But how many of us have walked away from a situation and gone, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that out loud and it just sort of happened and I've overshared and now what? Um, or perhaps we've put something in writing and we're left feeling a bit, oh, how's this going to be received? When we practice or create space to intentionally tell our story, we're 
doing that, if we're doing that in a therapeutic space, we've got the opportunity there to play with those boundaries, to explore how we feel about that bit of our story before we share that bit of our story. And we can really sit in our reaction to, and that's why it's important, it's auditory as well, I think, because you get that feedback loop. I've said the word, for you, very strong word, for example, manipulative, I've said it. How do I feel about it? It might not be how I expect to feel about mm. it. How do I think other people will hear it if I share it? How do I feel about what they, do you see what I'm saying? You, you get this opportunity mm. to, um, to first come to peace with that part of your story yourself thoroughly and completely so that when you're sharing it while there is vulnerability you're not dependent on their reaction for the validity of what you're sharing yeah i get what, get exactly what you meaning you mean because really we they, there's a saying that you should write uh, while you're bleeding and then you should go back and edit it uh, when a scab has formed and then you should only really let it out once the scab once the wound has healed and so in talking something through with you we can come to terms with it and maybe express it in a way that will make more connection and more resonance as well which is interesting but with the word manipulative I've thought about it it's a big word I don't like it it makes me sound like a horrid person so probably you'll all log off the call now because you don't want to listen but actually manipulative is, is about making things happen that I want yes. to happen yes it's power it's a powerful mm. word and very often we do end up with these scripts in our stories of powerlessness or powerfulness and actually it's re-engaging with that, that we get to interrogate those scripts and go, actually, where was their power? Where did I actually have less than I think I did? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we really start to manipulate, play with, it's our story mm -hmm. after all, um, mold it, frame it, um, try it on, see how it fits, and, and then adjust it, um, yeah. depending on how it sounds in our ears. Mm, in, very interesting very interesting I think it's quite fascinating um, so there are many ways to write a memoir but one way of doing it is to identify obstacles you've overcome and then identify how you did it does that come into your work absolutely because most of my work is therapeutically focused very often somebody is coming with obstacle in mind um, but there's there's often a lot of shame around that obstacle. There's a stuckness. A, I don't know what to do with this. I'm unfixable. I'm I'm broken. I suspect when somebody's writing a memoir, there's a bit more sense of I've overcome it and here's how I did it. Um, but again, that context, in the same way that therapeutically, you need to look at the context of that obstacle to to validate and affirm that yes, it's hard, and it's hard because it's hard, not because you're weak. Um, just even that kind of process of, well, look, look at what you're dealing with. Of course, it's an obstacle. In terms of memoir writing and, and sharing, in, I think you've talked about memoirs being this sort of source of inspiration to share that how I did it. Again, that context is going to be key because if I hear somebody telling me how they climbed um, a mountain and how they achieved it, what am I going to connect to? unless I'm planning on climbing that exact same mountain and I have all the same gear and I can put myself in their shoes very easily, I'm going to need pulling in by their context. Why does it matter to them that they climb the mountain? 
that mm. will probably engage part of my story, even if I've never gone near a mountain and frankly the idea brings me out in hives. There will be a universal emotional connecting point to do with that obstacle that is much more deeply embedded in the context of who that person is. Mm. Um, and that is going to be my way in to, to connecting with them, not just the mechanics of what happened mm. and how we did it. Interesting, interesting. Yes, I can see that. Um, so you talked to me because we had a long chat the other week. So prepare myself for this. That, that, and this is what I mentioned right at the beginning when I was introducing you, that we, we share our story with the world and we perhaps share our story with the world when we introduce ourselves to people. And when you and I were talking, you were saying how often we, we have a story that we tell when people say, who are you? But there's another story that could actually be a better story, but that will perhaps help people engage better, but we can't articulate it. And I know that's where you come in, but you've talked just now in the, in the context of writing a memoir, blogging and a, and a column about to get comfortable with our story. So you've, have you already answered the question on how we get comfortable with our story? Because we hear it and somebody else's, we hear, we hear it, back to us or is there anything more to it than that I think that yes there is more to it than that I mean it depends really what people are looking for you can get comfortable with your story in the sense that you can iron out the wrinkles of shame or the glitches where script glitches let's call it where we feel like there's this dissonance between the story that we've perhaps heard told about us um, or told for us um, which often happens as we grow up in our families, we, be, we, we are this character, we are given this role um, and we can carry that forward or perhaps in various relationships we're characterised by other people as much as we characterise ourselves. So there can be dissonance there that we can iron out through just voicing it, exploring it, owning it. Um, but in terms of that, how we communicate our story to other people, that ease can be brought into a much more definitive structure as well. So something that I often look at with third culture kids is um, the elevator pitch of, of the identity basically, where we go, okay, instead of feeling like a deer in headlights in, in, with the who are you, what's your story, you know, which part of my story shall I communicate? If I tell them Africa, do I have to specify a country? Well, they know where that is. Um, Will they expect me to speak the language if I've told them that I've come from there and that's going to be awkward? How do I filter this? We can sit down very intentionally okay, and go, okay, so here's my story. These are the parts of me I consider important. Now, what parts of these am I going to communicate and how am I going to construct this in a kind of two sentence bid to feel in control of how I'm presenting my story? And to feel like there's been some thought behind it rather than a kind of reactivity. I'll tell them it in a way that I think they can hear. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. We can get yes. into the habit of yes. just using an old script. 
Yeah, no, it does make sense. It's interesting. I can see we're getting some questions coming in, but yes. I really want to keep them till the end because uh, otherwise I forget what I'm going to ask. Um, but they're great questions that are coming in. It's just fascinating. I don't know if you're glancing over at the chat. I am as well. a bit. I am a bit. But my my sort of rabbit hole brain. Oh, no, is... I know. I'm trying not to read them, but they're just brilliant questions. So keep them coming, everybody. But I'm going to ask them, answer them. What I'm going to pass them to Rachel at the end. Um, so typically, in the context, not so much of TCKs, but let's just say adults, yeah. what sort of issues do your clients tend to uncover? Oh, the dissonance that I mentioned earlier is a big one, um, where people start to, we can feel liberated by our stories, empowered by them, or very constrained by them. I think that's the, the, the basic situation that people come with, is where we feel like our story has gained a life of its own, a momentum of its own, and somebody else is writing the script. And, and there's a sense of lack of control there, or a sense that we've been characterized in a way that we're not entirely comfortable with, in a way that feels limiting or shaming. Um, so that's where exploring that and becoming the author again of our life story, taking some power back and going, okay, so I talk about myself as being this way, where in my story is there evidence for that? Where has there been change over that? Do I want to do anything about that? Is it true? Um, how do I want to engage with that character that I feel like I've become somehow um, as my story bumps up against other people's stories? Mm. So I think that, that basic dissonance where we're just not comfortable in it, it's not our world. Um, and, and we don't feel in control of the various parts of it. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just, I'm just thinking as you're talking, you know, th there must be quite a difference, I could imagine, but I'd like you to spell it out. The difference between somebody telling their story to a normal person, a friend, mm -hmm. and talking to you. Yeah. Well, partly it's the length. Um, partly it's the, we're going to take two hours over this and mm. the lights on you. Mm. Uh, there's going to be no boredom, no glazing over, no bafflement, no confusion, mm. no particular need to have felt the same thing as you. Mm. Um, mm. I'm already committed to connecting and validating everything you say as being exactly as you say it was. Um, that sense of, yeah stage is yours um, and the experience of that can be very very powerful I can watch people sometimes as they're talking and there'll be the occasional flinch or wince as they're kind of waiting to be argued with or corrected um, where they're expressing finding a situation actually really quite hard but all they've heard is how lucky they were to have had it um, and so they're kind of waiting for that that feedback to confirm again an old experience um, and it's not there mm. and just space of it um yeah very very powerful i think yeah. interesting very interesting it's quite fascinating i think everybody should have a session with rachel because it's just so fascinating <laughs> and it doesn't really feel like it's therapy it feels like it's just total indulgence actually well, okay in itself is so significant isn't it <laughs> that it's so indulgent to oh take control of our own narrative mm. that that's yeah that 
scratches at my brain. Mm. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm now going to ask you what I think is my favourite question. Um, what? No, I've asked you it before. You know what I'm going to ask. Um, I want to know what your story was before mm. you unpacked it and after you unpacked mm. it, so to speak. Okay, so if we, if I think of the process of unpacking my story, beginning sort of late teens. Um, and then throughout university and on till now, um, it's been a, a layered process of unpacking it. Um, but prior, if I think about how I'd characterize myself, uh, let's call the deep unpacking it within the last five years, seven years. Um, prior to that, a brittle story, a, a story with hard edges, a story where I was not so much heroin as sort of um, judge and jury, shall we say, of myself, of the world around me, slightly distant, not, not, not central character. My, my chapters would be written in terms of this is happening and I, I was here. I was watching what was happening. Um, a, a, just a slight disconnect, certain shame, definite awkwardness. And yeah, like I say, a lot of self judgment even the parts where I would be proud of my achievements there's a reticence um, in whether or not I'm allowed to be after unpacking there's a mobility there's lung filling there's a sense of yeah my story I'm in it I write it um, my experience is valid and no shame Whatever regretful decisions I might have made, I'm on my side, I'm in the scene with myself, allied to myself, and just a lot of compassion really in there, which of course makes it a lot easier to tell. I'm not having to segment it um, or cover it up, but equally, I'm much more comfortable with being private about elements of it too because I'm not feeling like I'm doing it out of shame I'm doing it because it's mine and I get to decide how I tell it so what what was let's talk about put that in the context of elevator pitches what was your elevator pitch before and what was your elevator pitch after yeah and I think that that this is going to be very much within the TCK context as well so um the elevator pitch before would have been um I was born and raised in West Africa um, and that's pretty much all I had because a sense of knowing myself was very limited and much more reactive to what the environment required of me. So that elevator pitch was not consistent. Um, who are you? What's your story? I would, I would very much, that, that would be very mobile and depending on what I thought the person in front of me needed. Um, and largely wouldn't volunteer much about my, my person, myself. Now it would be, I'm, I'm English, I'm living in England, um, I was born and raised in Niger, West Africa, but in terms of cultural impact, um, the kind of patchwork of me, there's, there's, there's France, there's American, um, there's international, whatever that is, um, in terms of my, my school, my school history, and uh, and I like crochet and I have a cat that drives me crazy um, and I work online and it's great it, there's just more mm. there's more stuff and I'm excited by me when I tell it it's like yes I'm really interesting you want to know me 
and I want to know you. Let's connect. Mm. Yeah. That's very, it's interesting how the, the initial story will all, nearly always focus on where you grew up. Yeah, it's, it's a detail-orientated, mm. factual, there's not much emotional content there. Mm. Because that could be rejected. Interesting. So um, I think you've answered some of these questions already, but let's go on to something that I find completely fascinating. What are the mental health benefits of sharing your story verbally? Verbally, I think, as opposed to written or at least a precursor to writing. In my experience, people will often um, want to prepare something written before doing that initial session with me, and I tend to discourage it. Um, it can be really helpful to feel like you have a sense of timeline and where lives have been very complex um, or perhaps where there has been trauma involved memory gaps is a thing and it can feel reassuring to have a sort of skeletal framework but by and large um, what can be really beneficial is just watching the way the brain um, finds its own themes and its own order there might be jumping back and forth, but that's because the mind has connected those events as intertwined. And that in itself tells us something very important. So I'm never gonna close that down in a session. People will kind of go, oh, I'm sorry, I've gone out of order. No, you haven't. You're telling your story in the order that matters today. And if you told it in three months time, it'd probably be in a different order and that's just as valid. But we're, we're capturing what's preoccupying you about your story now within the context of all of it mm. um, which is something when we do on paper we, we edit instinctively um, mm. which can just lose that that element of the mind doing what the mind needs to do mm. very interesting very interesting um, so what would your ideal process and timeline be if somebody were going to um, write their story for a memoir or a blog, how do you think it should work if they were going to be seeing, seeing you or not seeing you, but at least doing some thinking and perhaps some therapeutic work, even if it's just in a journal between the yes. beginning and the end? Um, I like immediacy, partly because my brain is a bit of a butterfly, but I think giving yourself the time to do it verbally, even if you don't have a person that you're gonna do that with, grab a dictaphone um, or use one of the audacity is a free application you can download on your computer um, I use it for my podcasts um, and you can just record yourself listen back to it listen back with a, a, a compassionate non-judgmental ear um, as if you're listening to a friend and see what happens um, note down your impact that the impact that that has for you hearing hearing yourself back um, it's not uncommon for my clients actually to record our sessions um, because that's what they do is they're listening back to themselves as well as to whatever interaction we've had. Um, so I think and there isn't really an ideal one there, except I would say don't let too much time pass. Don't let yourself forget it. So give it a week. Things can percolate. Um, but I'm fairly anti-legalism. So if you want to jot things down earlier, jot things down earlier. Um, but it's if you wait too long, you will lose the emotional immediacy of what you've just voiced. And then, frankly, you'll be in another iteration of that story again in playing catch up. Um, 
so yeah i'd say a week would be a good good gauge but then i would i'm a therapist who has weekly sessions so my brain automatically segments mm. time in that way i think that's very in very important what you said about losing the emotional immediacy i think that it's emotion which is often the missing piece in in so many pieces so many people's writing who 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 haven't learnt what the elements are and so it's the emotion that makes the connections it's the emotion that makes the reader like you or not like you it's and it's the emotions that can really make the story come alive so yeah I, and i also know because i i i heard once that if you hear a talk you forget 50 percent of it within 24 hours so i can see why you say things should happen so fast i yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, when you know your story, how do you think it changes you as a human being? Oh, it's everything. Knowing our story is the bedrock of being able to communicate with ourselves in a way that means we're on our own side. Because we understand our needs, we understand our skills, we understand our limits. Um, we know who we are and what we're working with. We know the vessel that we're driving through life. We get it. We know what all the switches do. Um, but also, it is just critical and life-changing, absolutely, to, to know your story in a way that then helps you connect your story to other people's. Something that often acts as a bit of a barrier to accessing therapeutic support, I think, is the sense of self selfishness around that. It's a bit indulgent. Um, I should focus on caring for other people and helping other people and that will be where I get my meaning and my sense of fulfillment and all of that's true but I think the reverse is often more effective if we've dug into who we are we will spill that out very organically rather than trying to find ourselves in somebody else's story we find ourselves in our own and then that connects to everybody else's around us so you can have a completely different upbringing, a completely different set of experiences. But if you know what all of these emotional reactions are called and you know what themes you're working with, you can connect to all the ones they're expressing as well. And it's, it's massively connecting experience rather than a disconnecting one. But we have to connect internally um, to do that effectively externally. Mm, interesting. So... Uh, sort of on that on that line how can we be sure not to push people away when we're telling our stories i think very often it, i keep coming back to this word compassion and it's a bit of a buzzword and it has been for a few years i think but not without reason i will push somebody away from my story if i'm presenting my my character as um an, an easy victor um, as, as a particular version of my story as sort of figuring things out and, and finding solutions and being terribly good at everything. That will alienate because I've missed out quite a chunk of the process, probably out of shame or discomfort that it took me so long or that I found it so hard. So I've presented this part of it and anybody who isn't in that part of it, they're gonna hide behind a rock <laughs> if I go away. Um, equally, I can push people away if I'm focusing on powerlessness, my lack of story. If all I'm communicating is sort of whirling, 
um, then then that can be very overwhelming and, and people don't know don't know what to connect to because it's whirling. There's no clear um, presentation of self there at all. Whether that's I'm in process, but this is where I'm at and how I feel about where I'm in process. People will take their cue from us very often. So if if I'm confused by me, they'll be confused by me. If I'm at peace with me, they're more likely to be at peace with me too. Does that answer the question? No, I think you've given us a lot of very useful useful tips there. So on the other let's put the boots on the other foot. What does it take to be a good listener? Is it the same as being a good sharer of stories? <laughs> to be a good listener. That's a really interesting question. And I know it's one that you've asked me to consider and I keep pondering this because I think the feedback that I get in terms of people feeling heard and listened to in our work together, um, it's not lack of speech um, necessarily. We often think, you know, just shut up and don't say anything. But, but when people are sharing, they're often feeling a bit vulnerable. Um, so I think what I would say is a deep curiosity having a, a deep curiosity about the other person's story that exhibits as shutting up and listening because you don't want to, you don't want to not, you don't want to miss anything. You're really excited, not, not out of a kind of rule based, I shall not interrupt, but from a, I don't want to miss anything. This is fascinating. Please keep talking. Um, and then when we do have a question or we do want to follow up, or we do go, hang on, I just want to make sure I've understood this properly. It's from a place of curiosity and it is experienced as that. So again, if we're sharing, oh, yes, I've experienced that. That's not that's connecting, but it's not listening um, because it's flipping the curiosity back into oh, how could I apply their part of their story mm -hmm. to my experience of that event? Oh, now I'm curious about me. Keeping the curiosity about them. I think, I think that's, that's really good. That's really excellent. Um, okay, well, I think actually you've answered all the questions apart from my last one before we can go on to these amazing ones that have come up here. Is how can people connect with you? I love people connecting with me. Um, so there's my website, explorelifestory.com. Um, and you can find a contact me form on there. But if you want to email me directly, um, it's Rachel Kaysen at explorelifestory.com. Um, and in terms of connecting with me, you can connect my blog on there or you can connect to me directly. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, I've just engaged an absolute light of my life social media help. Um, so you'll be connecting with me, but there'll be some posts that aren't me, but they are me. So, um, but yeah, direct email if you want to direct connect. Thank you very much. So let's now go to these amazing questions that have been coming in. Goodness me. So Monty asked towards the beginning, she said, uh, in other words, can we say that this process helps you perceive yourself in the way that others perceive you? Yes, and then more. So it can be helpful in the sense that we can also often catch ourselves describing ourselves in the way others perceive us. Notice any ick. Actually, that doesn't feel like my story. I think I'm telling their story. 
and reframe, refocus into our perception of ourselves, but with awareness of the fact that there's multiple stories going on. Um, and that can be very, very helpful. Um, partly because if we, if, if we find ourselves, for example, in a narrative um, talking about how um, we never get any help or we never get any support or we've always been really, really independent, that does give us a clue about somebody else's perception of us as independent and it hasn't occurred to them to give us support. So do I want to adjust my story? Do I actually feel like somebody who needs support sometimes? Do I want to start telling my story in a way that counters that perception? How are you doing? I'm doing great, but you know what? I could really do with some support and here's what it could look like. That might be a part of our story we're not telling or we're not communicating. Mm. And it's the recognition of other people not noticing that we need support that then invites us <laughs> to change our story. Does that answer that one? Uh, well, Monty, you can, up, you can say in the chat if it hasn't, if you need to know a bit more. Now, Sarah's put her hand up, but I'm afraid I'm going to go through the list of questions. So um, if you could ask in the chat, that would be helpful. Um, Maggie has asked, would you call this shadow work, what we hide from ourselves and others and then make and then to make friends with what it is? Yes, absolutely. Um, shadow work's a lovely phrase. Um, it, it's almost yeah it, it, it's often used to refer to that 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 other part of ourselves we're less comfortable with um, and that we keep a little bit hidden um, yeah it, there's definitely a strong element of shadow work in that and, and definitely in terms of bringing it into the light a little more as well yeah. Um, oh, I see. I see. I know. Yeah. I, talk, I talk about it as sh a shadow side, but I see it was that. Yeah. That's what you meant. I, yeah. I thought, Maggie, you were meaning, as in having somebody shadowing you. I didn't oh, realise that's yes. what you meant. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And Yvonne has asked, but what about the story we tell tell ourselves each day? That's a different yeah. sort of story. It's a different sort of story, but it'll be a sort of microcosm of the larger one. And um, so, for example, if I am carrying a story around with my with myself that I'm generally quite untidy, quite demanding, fairly unorganized. This is the character that I'm inhabiting. When I notice that I'm leaving half drunk mugs of coffee around all day and I'm doing the washing up at night and washing up five different mugs, I'm going with that bigger story in mind. My story of today is that I'm unorganized, messy, make a lot of extra work and I'm behind constantly. If that bigger story is, I'm a bit quirky and a bit in my head sometimes and a bit distractible, but generally quite bubbly and fantastic and interesting and just a bit above the mundane stuff sometimes. My encountering of the many, many mugs is going to be an internal chuckle. And the story I tell about myself that day is going to be a lot kinder and a lot more, aren't I funny? Rather than, oh, more mugs. Here I go again. I wish I could just stop this habit. Does that make sense? There's an Absolutely, because you just described me. <laughs> Don't look at my kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a definite connection. So digging, if we don't like the story we're telling ourselves daily about who we are and the life we're living, get back to the big one because it'll be coming from there. 
Yeah, I, li I like that response very much. Um, and Monty said that uh, she noticed that in a memoir, we tell the story of what has been done to us and upon us, and hardly whatever what we do to others and how they're influenced by our behavior without knowing it. What's your take on that? Uh, I take it as in when you unpack your story, it's a process of rebranding yourself and giving yourself a new image. Yes, absolutely, Monty, I love that. Um, yes, I think you're right. We often um, negate our own power and that's possibly a bit of a gendered thing as well. If we think about the way perhaps women tell their stories and about how men tell their stories. Um, I remember a university professor once looking at me and saying, you just kind of expect life to kind of do what you want around you, don't you? And I was mortally offended <laughs> because it made me sound so manipulative and so entitled. But it was true. I do just expect life to, you know, fall at my feet and work itself out. Thank you very much. You know, it's another way of looking at that word manipulative. I expect life to mould in a shape that pleases me. Um, and, and actually, I love that about myself. It gets me quite a long way. Um, but in terms of what you're talking about, memoir and how I influence other people, telling my story in, and noticing that, Noticing, oh, yeah, I do have impact. Yes, I made that happen. That's something I'm often reflecting back to the people I work with. They'll go, yeah, I've had a really good week. I feel quite lucky. Okay, well, what did you do to make that a good week? Okay, so you set the foundation. So you, right, okay, there's the bit of the story that you weren't telling. You've made a good week happen and you're grateful. But what's that just done to your character? There's a lot more power in that. Mm. That was a long answer. No, it's a good answer. Yeah, it's good to draw to for you to draw, be made to draw attention to the bits of yourself that you just take for granted. That yeah. in order to help rebrand yourself internally, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, oh, good, so Marty. She says I did get it right. I don't know. <laughs> answered the question. Sadia so said lots of gems of wisdom. I agreed. Lots of gems of wisdom. Um, you'll be able to watch this again on YouTube in its entirety. We will be taking some snippets of it, putting some subtitles on it and uh, turning it into my monthly Inspira blog uh, next month as well. So you will be able to, to read more about this. Um, Yvonne has asked a really fascinating question, actually. How does this translate into storytelling in a corporate setting? See, I, I I'm not good at corporate. I've never done corporate. So my sense is, in, as, as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, um, as a sole trader, um, in terms of my corporate, the story I tell about who I am and what I do is significantly key to persuading anybody else to work with me. If I approach anything without a sense of this being deeply connected to who I am as a person, that my work is something I am invested in and I care about and my character is absolutely consistent with the work that I'm offering and the services I provide. I've got a very weak foundation to be successful from. I've got to really believe in what I do and I think on an organizational level that's key and it is increasingly key. People are demanding a high level of transparency and authenticity and vision and mission and message from organizations that they're working with. And consistency of story matters. 
if people get a sense of PR or, or sort of um, a certain amount of ethical whitewashing, for example, as being inconsistent with what a company's doing day by day, they boycott the company. So in terms of t figuring out the story of your work, of your workplace, really important to any kind of successful communication and persuasion um, in a corporate setting, I think. That's what that means to me. No, that makes a lot of sense. Rachel, you really do have to write a book. <laughs> if we just had a transcript. But I'm too excited working with people one-on-one -on -one at the minute. <laughs> I reckon we could just take a transcript of what you've said today and we turn it into the bones of, a, of an e-book. You could give away on your website to start That's with. Sure, I mean, honestly, it? the wisdom you have is just phenomenal you're like an express train it's just it's amazing um oh my goodness what have we got here monty has said um and she thinks it's fascinating how do you tell your success story without being perceived as bragging about yourself i think you touched on this earlier at least i got something from that but it's definitely worth expanding on i think yeah, I think this is really, really important. And it's an important piece for a lot of the third culture kids and probably as well for anybody who's lived as an expat because that sense of, oh, my life's terribly glamorous and interesting and exciting and as a result, completely alienating is a deeply familiar one to a lot of us. Um, so being able to talk about the bits of your story you're proud of, the bits that you're massively interested in, Again, context. So this is my success story. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well at business and I've got a full plate of clients and, and you know, people appreciate my work. And the context of that is I deeply need this because as soon as I step out of my office, I've got a needy nine-year-old child who will not be so appreciative of who I am. And that's part of my, my story too. And if I can, when I'm communicating my success, communicate part of my process or what it means to me, to be successful. That human need in me that is fulfilled by a sense of purpose and vision and worth. Um, if I just say, yes, I'm terribly busy and important and I've managed to, to, to fill up all my time with clients, but I miss out the bit that says, which is so meaningful to me because this is what I've been working towards for a long time and there were moments I didn't think I'd make it. That's the whole story. And if I can communicate all of it, I've, I've got people connected with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm offering actually a, a much more genuine part of me to them too. Mm -hmm. Not just a finished product that I've sort of shinied up um, and said, look at this side, don't turn it around. Yeah, but what you've just done there, I think, Rachel, is you've just added the emotion to the story. Yeah. Yeah, it's not task-based or goal-orientated, it's character-based and me-orientated. So here I am on a platter sharing, you know, all the bits of the course um, and, and for your viewing and enter that with me. Let's share the experience of that um, because here's my experience of my success. Does that make sense, Monty? It does to me. I'm sure it will to Monty, the last one she understood too. Um, I, th I think you, 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 do, you, you do explain it in many words that really help to get your point across, which is fantastic. Many words has always been my slight weakness. <laughs>
I'm an academic at heart. No, I'm not. I'm an academic in origin. <laughs> in origin, yes. I don't yeah. think academics are supposed to use many words, only carefully chosen mm -hmm. long words. Um, Sarah would like to feed back that di using a dictate program has really helped her and improved her writing. Yeah, um, I, I suppose it also it. helps because it helps you to hear what your natural voice is. So that's yeah. That's well, it too. means you can flow without immediately reacting to every word you're typing as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Sarah says, "When are you free for a session with me?" I think that's pointed at you. So you can just you can deal with that later. You have each other's phone yeah, number. Email me. We'll set something up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leslie says, "Fascinating. Thank you." Um, Yvonne says, "What about the use of stories to illustrate a point?" Mm. Yvonne, that's what I tell you to do in your book that you have just you have finished. <laughs> Not necessarily your own story. So how can you? Yeah. I think it, start with your own, know your own, extrapolate the themes or the connecting emotional points, what's happening in the story. Something that a professor told me, which was actually really helpful when I was data collecting, is when I'm writing observational notes, because I did some field work as part of my ethnographic piece, you know, and you're sort of observing the scene, and then you're going back to kind of try and get meaning from it, you're asking yourself, what is actually being told to me here? So again, in my interview transcripts, somebody's told me about a visit they made with their father at eight um, to their work that they were doing and they sort of got to tag along. Okay, I've got the facts, but what are they actually telling me? And in your story, what are you actually telling? And then, then you can construct other stories because you know what you want to actually tell so you can start from that emotional point and then it and playing with metaphor and things like that so can you turn your stories into pictures and then bring those pictures down into other concrete real life examples and again that curiosity the more curious we are with our story the more curious we are with other people's and then we become story collectors and we instantly connect and then we can regurgitate although that's not a pleasant word those kind of experiences or examples in other ways I think that's a very helpful phrase you just used there. What does it actually mean? I think that's, that's very yeah. helpful indeed. What is that? Yeah. What does that story actually mean? I think that's very good. So thank you yeah. for that. Um, Monty has said this reminds her of last night's inauguration where where Biden talked about his lost son and the emotion yeah. connected with everyone. Absolutely. Where we can we might have a particular experience of loss or a particular experience um, of success and we want to share that but we need to do so in a way that that taps into that universal experience if we can again if we can look at our story and go okay so you're telling me um, that you lost a family member what do you what is that actually about is it a loss of shared history a loss of future relationship a loss of shared culture a loss of sharing the same nose as somebody else in your life. You know, what, what specifically has been lost? Because whether or not somebody has actually had that equivalent family member die or not, they will have experienced one of those losses and they will be able to connect with that. And then we're, we're linked. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think we've got to the end of our, of our questions. Thank you very much indeed Rachel what I'm going to do is I'm going to say thank you 
I'm going to, and then I'm going to stop recording. So if anybody wants to just ask something off the record and put their videos and their mute, their microphones back on, um, you're very welcome. Though I do expect that Rachel's probably got a client in a minute. Anyway, thank you so much, Rachel, (laughs) very much for being here today. It's been absolutely fascinating. So much that we could listen to again and keep on learning. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant.